Uh, let me encourage you to turn to Hebrews 12 in your Bibles uh, for the preaching of the Word. Hebrews 12 today, and uh, we'll continue through uh, this epistle uh, to the Hebrews and, and make sense of it in its original setting and then make application to us uh, in our lives. Last week, uh, we considered the first part of the final warning in the book of Hebrews. This is an amazing ancient document found in the scripture. The author calls it a word of exhortation, and it has drawn the attention and admiration of uh, Christians and scholars throughout the centuries. Some people think it was originally a sermon that was preached, later recorded for an epistle. Others say it bears the mark of a letter. Uh, Regardless, what we have learned so far is that this book is laid out, it's structured around five major sections. Those sections all come in parallel fashion. The author's making a case, and so he gives five sections of doctrine or truth from Scripture, from his Old Testament Bible, and then he gives five warnings. Okay, so it goes doctrine, warning, doctrine, warning. Well, we've made it the whole way to the end of this book, And in Hebrews chapter 12, he makes two points in his final warning. He gives us information, and then he calls for a response. Last week, we started into this, and we looked at the powerful information that the author of Hebrews gives them. And you can look at this in your Bible just as a brief review, especially if you weren't here. Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 24, contain one paragraph where the author starts out, he's kind of like a parent of an adult child, right? Who articulates the reasons why his child or her child should consider a certain direction. You make the case, you make the best case that you can. And so the author of Hebrews gives these, this information. And in this ultimate of warnings, the information that he gives them is uh, very intriguing. It's information about two mountains, two destinations. We looked at this last week. And so he first considers what, it, uh, what happened with the Old Covenant Jewish people when God spoke to them back in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus in Deuteronomy on Mount Sinai. And if you're looking in verses 18 through 21, you can see how the author describes this important information. He said that when God spoke to them, the mountain was filled with smoke and fire. There was darkness. There was a whirlwind or a tornado. There was uh, earthquakes. There was the piercing trumpet blast that seemed to intensify as God was speaking to them on Mount Sinai. And then it also was met with a voice that was like no other that this creation has ever heard. A voice so terrifying, the text says, that it made those who hear it beg that it would stop. It was so terrifying that even Moses, the faithful man of God, the one who was faithful in all of God's house, he was terrified by the sound of the voice of God. And so we see this first mountain and God's appearance in the Old Testament, how it brought terror and fear. But in verses 22 through 24 last week, we saw that there was another mountain heavenly mountain, heavenly Mount Zion. And the author described to us what life 
would be like on this mountain. He describes all of this teeming life that's there. He, he first started by saying that on this mountain, which is the destiny of those who follow Jesus Christ, you will come to an, a, a, the presence of an innumerable group of angels in one joyful gathering. This is massive group of angels, thousands and thousands of angels in a joyful celebration. He says, you will also come to the presence of the church gathered. You will come to faithful saints from the Old Testament era, like those from Hebrews 11, the spirits of righteous people now made perfect. But most important, he says, when you come to this heavenly destination as a child of God through Jesus Christ, you're going to come to the living judge of all, God. And you will come to Jesus, the Son of God, who is the mediator of the new covenant. And then perhaps it struck you last week, there is one final destination that you come to in verse 24. It's gripped my heart truly this week and last. I can't help uh, but keep thinking about it in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 24 at the end there. It says, and you will come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So the author says also on this mountain, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll come to a metaphor. He gives a metaphor, paints a picture. You'll come to a blood, an articulate blood, a blood that argues for you, a blood that speaks on your behalf and demands something even better or greater than Abel's blood. Remember, Abel, the first person who's murdered in the Bible, when his blood goes into the ground, God said he heard Abel's voice from the ground. And he is uh, articulating to Cain that that blood demanded justice. Someone needed to pay for this murder, for this sin. But here in Hebrews 12, we see a blood that demands forgiveness. Forgiveness. I feel like I could preach that sermon all over again. Like me last week, I was just so enthused about that. Uh, throughout the week, I, like, there are sometimes like, I don't even know what to do now. Like, how do you respond to this? I'm so glad last week we had the Lord's table right afterwards. Like, okay, that's one way I can respond. I could just spend this whole time praying, thanking the Lord for blood that speaks for me. Demands forgiveness. Perhaps you didn't know how to respond either. I'm so glad that the author of Hebrews then tells us exactly how we are to respond. That's what this final little paragraph in verses 25 through 29 describe. He suggests because of this articulate blood, because of the new destination that we have, that's heavenly Mount Zion, we should respond in two ways. One is negative and one is positive. It's very simple. You can see this in your own Bible. The negative one is found at the beginning of verse 25. The positive demanded response is found at the beginning of verse 28. So look there in your Bible just for a second. The negative one is, so this is what he says. He's wrapping up the whole book, all these warnings, all this doctrine. He says this, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking with you. Don't refuse the voice of God. That's the first way we should respond to these warnings. And then in verse 28, again, right near the beginning of that verse, the second way we should respond is, therefore, let us be grateful and so let me go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help us as we look at these two necessary responses to the blood that speaks on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege of opening up your word. 
it never ceases to, to surprise me. I should not be surprised. Lord, many of us have been studying your word for 20, 30, 40, some 50 or 60 years, and yet we still find truths, lessons, important points that, that just cause us to stop immediately and worship. As we come today to study this necessary response, I pray that I'd be clear that this quick passage, simple passage, would be very significant for people who would hear it today. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The first necessary response is do not refuse God's voice. It's found in verses 25 through 27. Look there in your Bible. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. At that time, the Old Testament, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more, and I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The phrase yet once more indicates the future here, the removal of things that are shaken. That is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Here the author starts with the command itself. It's right at the beginning of verse 25. He says, see to something, make sure that you do something. And he tells us exactly what that is. Make sure not to refuse the voice of the one who's speaking with you. Here the word refuse uh, could be translated decline. Don't decline something or someone. And in the text, he tells us what not to decline, a voice. If you were to keep reading this text down into verse 26, you would see that the voice he's describing is the same being that spoke to people on Mount Sinai in the old covenant system. The voice in this passage is not necessarily the voice of the author in the book of Hebrews, although I think God is using that book with these people. The voice that he's talking about is the voice of God. So he says, do not decline or refuse the voice of God. That's a necessary response. But then he demonstrates in the rest of this paragraph, this section, why it is necessary to respond in that way. And to give, I think, further explanations here, he starts in verse middle of verse 25. He starts by explaining that those who refused God's voice on Mount Sinai in the Old Testament, they did not escape. When they heard God on the mountain of Mount Sinai, and he gives them things like the Ten Commandments, if they did not obey that, they were judged. As a matter of fact, you could read about the generation of people who got that. They were judged severely, significantly in the wilderness because they did not submit to the voice of God there. Okay, so that's the way his argument is going. And, and during this time, the author tells us that when God is speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he also explains that God shook the ground at that time. We've, I think, perhaps made this point already, but what you need to know is that frequently in the Old Testament, when God made an appearance, which we call that a theophany, frequently during theophanies, there were earthquakes. If you've ever been in an earthquake before, you know how unsettling they are. Have any of you ever been through an earthquake? If you have, raise your hand. Okay, actually, many of you. I can see all of you who are from California. As I'm looking out there, I see some of you. 
raising your hands. I've never been through one. I remember as a teenager watching the World Series, perhaps you remember this, it'll date you a bit, is, is in 1989, 31 years ago. I was watching the World Series, the, the Battle of the Bay. Remember this World Series? The reason it was called that is because it was a World Series between two teams that were just miles apart, the San Francisco Giants playing the Oakland Athletics, Oakland A's. And during the pregame coverage of this, everything went, black actually went green. And you could tell something was going on. You heard some voices in the background. You didn't know what was going on. And when they came back, they showed footage of people running and crying and hugging each other. An earthquake had hit San Francisco and Oakland and had greatly impacted that entire place. I'll never forget as a teenage boy seeing footage of a car that was driving on the Bay Bridge. You remember this? Those of you who are at least 31 years old, <laughs> car driving on the Bay Bridge in the upper layer, the, the Bay Bridge had fallen, okay? And, and one layer had fallen on another and collapsed the layer be, below it and they fell down in there. I remember seeing that car drop into there. During this earthquake, buildings collapsed, fires raged out of control, people fled out of buildings and streets and they had no idea where to go. I think it's, an earthquake is a very unsettling thing. It's frightening because it takes away all sense of control from us. So the author starts here by describing God speaking so powerfully with an earthquake in the Old Testament. And he then explains that the people were held accountable for how they responded to the voice of God on Mount Sinai. And the way the argument goes is, is like this. He's saying, now if that's true, if that's true, and they were held accountable, and they did not escape, what do you think will happen to the, to, to the person or the people who hear the voice of God speaking out of heaven, warning them? Think God speaking out of heaven, warning them, comes through his son, Jesus Christ, but I think also it comes through the epistle to the Hebrews. So this, this whole time, you, you think you've been hearing, you know, 40-some sermons out of Hebrews, you know, interesting little study of an ancient letter, but what you're actually hearing is the voice of God. The voice of God, doctrine, warning, doctrine, warning. I think the argument here is lesser to greater. It's one like the author of Hebrews. He has made these sort of arguments before. Remember in Hebrews chapter 2? Hebrews 2, verse 2, you don't have to turn there, but he says, since the message that was declared by angels, what message is that, colonial? The message that was delivered by angels, that was the law of Moses. You could read about that in Acts, in the book of Galatians. Since the message that was declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, the author asked this, how will we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, it was declared to us at first by the Lord Jesus, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness with signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. In Hebrews chapter 2, the author says, you know what, if, if they were punished for receiving the law of Moses, what do you think is going to happen? or for, for disobeying the law of Moses, what do you think is going to happen to those who disobey the law of Jesus, the Son of God? In Hebrews chapter 12 here, then, I think the argument's like that. He asks, what kind of punishment do you think awaits the one who turns away from the voice of God that is warning us from heaven through the book of Hebrews? 
And the author tells us then a little bit more about the nature of God's warning to us in the rest of this passage. Originally, God had led an ancient prophet by the name of Haggai. Haggai was charged by God to help rebuild the temple as a prophet and call the people to do that. It's a, just a little three-chapter book of your Old Testament. And originally, Haggai gave this warning from God. Haggai said, yet once more, and I will shake, speaking of reference to God, God will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. That's what Haggai said. God shook the earth on Mount Sinai when God spoke to us, but Haggai is saying there's coming a day when God is going to shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This is going to be a massive, massive work by God. The original warning comes, I think, when God is speaking of the coming judgment on the nations. They'll be thoroughly judged for standing against God and his people. And then Hebrew adds something I think is very important. Look in your Bible, verse 27. I'm just going quickly through this text. Verse 27, it says, this phrase yet once more indicates, and here's the phrase I want to think about, the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. What are the things shaken? It's everything that's made. All of heaven and earth, this planet, other universes, everything. There's coming a day where mankind will experience the great removal. That's the word this text uses to describe it. The word removal here could be translated, uh, could be translated the change or the transformation. And it talks about a great removal or change that will occur for all creation. I invite you to just turn forward in your Bible just a few pages or scroll down a little bit to 2 Peter. I think 2 Peter just describes what this removal will go, is going to be like for all of this world, for all of the heavens and earth and universe. 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'm just going to read a few select verses here that I think will just highlight this for you. We're, we're, we're digging down into this a little bit. What is the removal that will remove everything that can be shaken, everything that's made? Look at 2 Peter 3 verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist, exist are stored up for fire, but kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Go down to verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, Peter warns, waiting for and hastening for the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens, and he says it again, he emphasizes it, the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies, stars, planets, suns, they will melt as they burn. Verse 13. But according to this promise, we're waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwell. What Peter is telling us here, led by the Holy Spirit, is in the end, after the millennial kingdom of God, God is going to burn down the current heaven and earth. This is what I would call the great removal or the transformation. And at that time, he will create a new heaven and a new earth. For believers in Jesus Christ to live in. And so men and women, I warn you with this. There is coming a shaking. 
that will rattle everything and everyone. And God will create a new heaven and a new earth. So in Hebrews, go back to Hebrews 12, God talks here about a future time when heaven and earth will both be removed. I want to take a step back from this. So you say, man, that is some really interesting stuff Peter wrote there. It's like shocking if you were paying attention. Burned up, dissolved, heavenly bodies melt. But I want to ask you, what's the point that the author of Hebrews is making with that? Sure, that should be unsettling to you, but what's the point he's making? I think the point he's making, if I were to summarize this this way, do not, un, uh, do not underestimate God's power. Do you know who you are refusing if you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ? You really don't want to tell God no on this. For cataclysmic judgment is coming on the earth and the heavens for those who refuse the voice of God. Men and women, boys and girls, I say this with all sincerity as a proclaimer of the gospel. You cannot afford to refuse the voice of God who has told you in this book about the greater sacrifice of Jesus, the son, his son, who died on the cross for your sins. I'm not just saying that because I'm a preacher. I believe that. If I weren't a preacher, I'd be telling you this too. It's what the word of God says. Some of you really need to consider whether you've ever responded appropriately to the voice of God. Have you ever responded to what God has told you about the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ? Have you ever seen that you really needed someone to save you? The Bible, the revealed word of God says this. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every person other than Jesus, every boy and girl, man and woman has fallen short of God's glory because we sin. And then the Bible continues when it says a few chapters later in Romans, the wages of sin is death. And it's clear as you read through the Gospels that that death that he's describing leads to an eternity in hellfire. Men and women, that's what the Bible teaches. And so I ask you, uh, have you ever responded properly to the voice of God? This is God's voice. What will you do with it today? Will you repent and believe that Jesus died in your place on the cross for your sin, and that by the power of God, he rose again three days later so that you could be delivered, so that his perfection and righteousness could become yours. You responded properly to the voice of God. Some of you come week after week with your spouse or your parents, and the truth is you just keep declining it refusing it. You might respond as Daniel, Pastor Daniel said just a little while ago, you intellectually gather it, you get it, but it doesn't touch your heart. You know when it touches your heart when you say, you know what, I am a sinner. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And then you repent. I don't want this. I need Jesus. Has that happened to you? You do not want to ignore the voice of God. 
The second response is in verse 28 and 29, and it goes really quickly. Look at verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The second response, uh, if I were to summarize it with one word, it's gratitude. Gratitude. It's the second command here, subjunctive verb here. I want to just teach you three things about gratitude very quickly. First, the meaning of gratitude. This word, these words, be grateful, in the ESV could be translated, hold or have grace. Hold or have grace. It speaks of the people who've been born again by Jesus Christ that should have a disposition of grace. The word grateful is actually the normal New Testament word for the word grace. Normally, as you're reading through your New Testament, it's, it's, it's used in reference to what God has done through Jesus Christ, all the things he has given to us in him, that's grace. But here, and I think a few places, like in the pastoral epistles, this word speaks about how we should respond to God. I was reading through the sermon last night with my wife, Carissa, at the table. At this point, she informed me of a Bible study she did, and, and the author is Nancy Lee DeMoss. This Bible study, Nancy Lee DeMoss gives this prayer. I just thought it was so fitting. She prays this way. She said, may the gratitude that flows out of my life reflect the grace that's been poured into it. You get that? May the gratitude that flows out of my life reflect the grace that has been poured into it. So as I read these verses, I think he's describing, the author's describing one of the most fundamental attitudes that describes new covenant believers in Jesus Christ. That is that we would have a disposition of grace. I think this is one of the reasons why we willingly identify ourselves as a grace church. We rejoice in God's grace to us through Jesus and we live full of grace and gratitude to him for it. That's why I often describe the most basic Christian posture as one of grace and thanksgiving. That's how we should treat people and treat God. In other words, just to be clear in this moment of just prying into our lives, we must not normally conduct ourselves in negative ways or be critical in life of what God is doing or what others are doing or live in a constant state of mourning and sadness. Sure, there's sorrow in the life of a Christian who's called upon God to endure all sorts of, there's sorrow, but it's not. It's not the overwhelming tone of our lives. Instead, we need to live as, as though God changed everything for us. That one day our destination is a future heavenly Mount Zion with innumerable angels in a joyful gathering. So as we look at this, we see the meaning of grace. The reason for gratitude, verse 28b, second phrase there. We are people of grace because God has, because we have received something from God. We have received something that will survive the great removal that's coming up. The text here calls it the unshakable kingdom. It's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's the unshakable kingdom of God that will last forever and ever. The truth is all of this stuff around us, all of this stuff around us will be shaken and removed, but we have something that will never be taken away. God will reign after the removal of the entire created order in a new heaven and a new earth. 
his kingdom is not only of this world, it's of the world to come. And this text says, we have received it. We will reign in his kingdom with him forever and ever, regardless of what happens to the heavens and the earth. That's the reason for gratitude. He just puts it there. And then finally, this last little part is called the product of gratitude. And I'll just go quickly through this. I just want to point out one thing to you. I can do this in about two minutes. Look at verse 28 again. Therefore, let us be grateful. Why? For receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's what we get. Okay. But then you have these two words, and thus. It could be translated by this or by which. Okay, what's this or which? It's gratitude. And by a life of gratitude, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So I call this the product or the outcome of gratefulness. That is, when we are grateful to God for what he has given us, it becomes to God acceptable worship or service. You read about a God like this, and I think one of the, the thoughts we should have is, man, I really want to please that God. Man, I, I like, I do not want to get on the wrong side of that God. I know in Jesus Christ, I'm accepted by him and I'm forgiven. So I want to know how to worship him. This text says, with the spirit of gratitude and by this gratitude, let's offer up acceptable sacrifice to God. And then he just reminds us here one last time about the nature of God in powerful ways. Is he, he calls God a consuming fire. I think the author of Hebrews is reflecting on the book of Deuteronomy, two places in Deuteronomy, chapter four, chapter nine. God is called a consuming fire. It's a metaphor. God is like a fire, a fire that devours, that eats up, that swallows down. What a powerful way to end this warning. Climatic warning, the book of Hebrews, that. You'll be protected from all of that. It does not negate the fact that God will do this. God will punish. But you can rejoice in the fact that you're a child of his. You are saved because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And you will have something that will never be taken away from you. You will have existence in the kingdom of God forever and ever. Let's pray together. Right before I pray, in this moment of reflection on the text, as, as I was praying this morning, I truly felt led by God that to, to consider the fact that there would be people here under the sound of my voice who've never believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've only ever just intellectually attended church and heard the Bible, maybe even this, would be your, this could be your first time here and you've never obeyed the voice of God found in the message of his son, Jesus Christ, I encourage you to do that right now. As you're sitting there with no one looking around, you can pray to God quietly. You can go to God and first confess to him your sin. You say, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and God, I know that includes me. I've defied you. I've acted in ways that were not in the perfection of your holiness. I've disobeyed. I've sinned. But, and God, I need a Savior. 
can acknowledge your sin to God and then repent of that to say, God, I don't want that sin. I want to turn. I want to turn from that sin to something else. And then you can declare to God that you believe the message of his son, Jesus Christ. That you believe it in your heart. You know you need it. You declare to God in quiet prayer, I believe that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross in my stead and that he rose again to give me a picture of the fact that I can walk in a new way as a follower of yours. You can trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. I pray that you would do that now as I'm praying. You would pray to God, confess your sins, repent, believe the message regarding his son. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this time together, and I pray, I, I, I praise you for the nice weather you've given to us where we can experience this time together. I pray that you would just bless the final part of our service as well, this interview with the Seelies, our missionaries to Cameroon. I pray that you would use it in our lives. As we sing one last song after that, I pray that we could just rejoice in the God from whom all blessings flow. Lord, I pray that we would be able to rejoice today in the salvation of someone here perhaps several here who believed for the first time the message of your voice found in the book of Hebrews about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.